Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. A happy Thanksgiving to all my American listeners. For the rest of you, a happy Thursday. I have a stellar episode slated for this evening. A lineup full of strangeness that covers the entire paranormal spectrum. But before we get started, last week's submission from David in Tennessee really seemed to resonate with some of you guys. Now you may remember him recounting an experience with an Appalachian healer, a miracle worker that managed to heal a wart on David's finger in a matter of hours. Well, it would seem like he's not alone in that experience. I received dozens of emails regarding the subject of wart removal. And in those emails, suggestion after suggestion, or experience after experience, from people near and far, all sorts of treatments were touted. Duct tape, vinegar, garlic, compressed air. Some people bought warts, some people sold warts. Some people rubbed them on trees, and even one claimed rubbing half of a potato on a wart, then burying said potato in the yard, under a certain eave of the house, beneath a full moon's light. I actually tried a lot of these, but my little buddy is still hanging out on my thumb. Maybe I should give the tater a try. A big thanks to everyone that emailed in with that information. Now, like I said, we have a great little episode lined up for you guys this evening. So, let's get at it. And to kick us off, we begin back in Appalachia, where our anonymous caller has an interesting story waiting for us. Hey, I am currently calling from Appalachia, but this story is about the low country of Georgia specifically in a town called Statesboro. I've called a couple times with different stories about my time there. I finished high school and college in that area, so I was there for many years and spent a lot of it in a tiny house on the corner of Main Street and Lee Street. And, yeah, I was just remembering some of the spookiness I used to feel there, specifically at night. Now, if you've ever spent time in Georgia or if you're from the Deep South, then you'll know what I'm talking about. But there's a a kind of heat with no breeze. There's hardly ever a breeze in this town. And it's a heat that is, like, like thicker than a blanket. It's, like, smothering you. Like, it's in your lungs. It's in your hair. It's in your body. It is oppressive, and it is thick. So the first time I experienced this, it was on a night much like that. Very hot. It was probably 9 p.m. and it was still like 100 degrees outside in the dead of summer. And I don't know, I would just take the garbage out and the trash was maybe 30 feet from my front door. But again, you'd go outside and there was no sounds, no cicadas, no crickets, nothing. Just a dingy little street light and me. We had a giant pecan tree in the backyard and our garbage can was next to that pecan tree next to a tiny little dilapidated shed that had been there for who knows how long. Now our house was a little over a hundred years old and um, anyway when I was walking out to take the garbage out like my mom had asked I would just always feel 
was getting a little nervous even thinking about it. I would always just feel like I was being watched, like by a predator. The way I think someone might feel if there's like a hungry coyote, you know, it felt primal and I felt like it wanted to eat me. But I looked around, there was nothing. Um, and again, this isn't a town with very thick woods or anything. It's not where I lived. So there was nowhere for anything to hide. Maybe a person, a person could have been hiding. But I would get this feeling pretty much every time I would take the garbage out. And so <laughs> I always look around, I'd stand there for a second, just trying to figure out why I felt so truly terrified. You know, I, I was scared of the dark as a child, but this was so much more than that because I could see I could see fairly well. The only where I couldn't see is behind the shed and under the pecan tree. And that's kind of where the feeling felt like it was coming from, was the shadows. So I would always run back into my house. And then I don't exactly know why. I think I was just tired of being afraid. And so one time I just felt like I needed to walk very slowly that when I would run, it would chase after me. I would always get this feeling like, just run, 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 close the door, don't look behind you. But when I would walk really slowly, it felt okay. You know, and they say that sometimes with a predator, like the worst thing you could do is run because it will chase you. And that's just the, maybe that's even something I heard and I was like, okay, I'm going to walk really slow. And so when I would walk really slow, it didn't feel like it was chasing me. It felt like it was still there. Um, so I really can't explain that. I never found any animals, nothing, no one was ever murdered in this neighborhood. Like, I never experienced anything bad in paranormal or uh, violent ways there. And anyway, a couple of years later, I looked at a map and saw that the neighborhood I was living in used to just be fields. It was my house and my best friend's house a couple doors down, and that was it, just open fields. And the pecan tree, you know, this is a town where there was very likely a lot of slavery going on. It's a big cotton town, a big peanut town, sunflower growing town. It is farm town. It has a large university, but the population of the town itself is, I think, like under 10,000, maybe even 5,000. So anyway, I know too that like in Sherman's March to the Sea, he did not set Statesboro on fire, mostly because he couldn't find it. <laughs> so it's also a town that was somewhat undisturbed by the Civil War, and um, I don't know, I've just always had some really weird experiences there. Another time in this same town on a similar night, a few miles down the road, I was coming out of a friend's house in dusk, you know, as night was falling. Again, very oppressive, thick heat, no wind, hardly a sound, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw something perched on the hood of her car. And I thought maybe it was one of my friends. You know, it's a small town, we all knew each other. It was very often you would just run into someone on the sidewalk or the street and you'd just join up and hang out. So I thought maybe it was one of our friends. But I was actually in the middle of cleaning my glasses. So I like looked back down, finished cleaning them, put them back on and looked up and there was nobody there. So the weird thing is, I can hardly see at all without my glasses, but when I had looked up, again, just briefly glanced and saw a being there, it was very clear, <laughs> clearer than it should have been, actually. And when I looked up the second time and it was not there, I kind of reflected back on what I'd seen out of the corner of my eye. You know, sometimes you'll see something and you don't really process what it was you were seeing until a moment later, 
um, your brain just kind of interprets it for you and you're like, oh yeah, okay, must have been my friend. But then when I started to think more about what I'd actually seen, it was like a dark brown, green woman with really dark kind of matted hair and she was crouching on the hood of the lid. And so when I had seen it, I thought it was a little odd, the the shape she was making with her body, but I also have some really weird friends, so I just chalked it up as that. And so I, I called around trying to see if it was someone I knew, like playing a joke on me. I, I, it's a town with a very healthy black population. So again, when I saw that it was like a darker skinned creature, I just assumed it was one of my friends. And there's nobody there. There's nowhere for them to hide. I even got down on my hands and knees and looked under the car. Nothing. Nobody. It felt really weird, so I looked on the hood. And sure enough, there were like condensation in the form of handprints. You know, like when it's very humid and you touch something, like your body heat will like create moisture a lot of the times. Even like in my house now, if I'm a little sweaty and I'm wearing socks, I look down and, you know, there's like a, a small footprint that fades as soon as it dries kind of thing. And well, that's what was on this car. And over the years, I saw other creatures like this, but they would be like clinging to like corners of ceilings in like this old auditorium. It was just kind of odd. <laughs> I don't even know what I would describe it as, but I, like thinking back, I don't think she very much felt like a she. I don't think she was wearing clothes. I don't know if she was human. It was humanoid. It had a face. It had hands and legs and hair. And then it was just gone. And the other times I would see it again, it, I would look and it would be there. I would blink and be like, holy f- wait a second, look back, and it would be gone. There is a show called, uh, I can't remember if it's Dead to Me or Dead Like Me, and the character basically plays like, she ends up coming back as a reaper, helping guide people to death, and there are these like gremlin-like things in that show, and I saw it a few years later, and it is like exactly what I I saw. Um, again, very weird, kind of reptilian in a way. Yeah, I don't know. Hope you can use this, and if there's anyone else in Georgia who's seen something like this, I would be really curious to know. Anyway, have a good day. Thanks, caller. Now, if I'm not mistaken, it kind of sounds like our caller may be working on a They Live reboot. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. Those that have seen it will get it. Now, this call is certainly a wild one. If the caller's assumption is correct and she did see some sort of reptilian creature, are we to think that they're always out there, hidden amongst the human race as the legends and stories suggest? Well, you know, even for this program, that seems a bit far-fetched. But it is worth noting that plenty of others have reported similar encounters across these United States. But long-time listeners of this program may remember another Georgian mystery of the reptilian variety. Of course, I speak of the Georgia Raptor. There is only one recorded sighting, but it is known as the Georgia Raptor. On July 25, 2008, an 18-year-old man and his grandfather decided to spend time together by taking a nature walk at 3 p.m. They walked for a while, intent on visiting a rocky area that was previously known to have quite a few deer present. 
Once there, the pair stayed motionless, hoping to see something, all the while listening to the sounds of nature. Not long after this, they heard an odd, indescribable sound emanating from the forest, followed by heavy footsteps. As they watched, they saw a really strange creature emerge from the tree line about 150 yards from them. They described it as something that looked like a raptor from the Jurassic Park movies. It was about 5 feet tall at its shoulders, had a long stiff tail, walked on its two muscular hind legs, it had two short arms, and both limbs had prominent sharp claws. To tie with the movie, it also had the sickle-shaped claw on its feet. Both men stayed absolutely still, since they assumed it could run fast due to the musculature of its legs, and it appeared capable of harming them. As they watched, it lifted its head and sniffed the air for a while, then made another sound and ran off into the bushes. From that moment on, the man now states that he is convinced that there are creatures out there that science has yet to identify. Now credit goes to Ben Miller on YouTube for that clip. I think a surviving raptor in the woods of the Peach State is just about as likely as a secret takeover of fierce reptilian creatures. But that original report does fascinate me, assuming they didn't create the account out of whole cloth. What could they have possibly seen that could have explained the wild description the witnesses delivered? But in my research, I did uncover another Georgian reptile that seems to be popping up where it doesn't belong. An invasive species known as the South American Tegu Lizard. They've been on the hunt for the Tegu lizard, who are being found in great numbers in the tombs in Tattnall County areas. They have trapped them in an aim to cut down on its population, which can be as much as 30 offspring at a time. Uh, we're worried that they'll become a really invasive species and be detrimental to our native wildlife. And so we're trying to trap them uh, and get rid of them before they become a potentially a big problem. Well, that went courtesy of WJCL. ABC News 22 out of Savannah. And if you're in that area and you see one of these creatures, you're supposed to call the Georgia DNR. Monsters can show up in many forms. This one a threat to Georgia's natural wildlife. But I do doubt that what our caller saw was a tegu. But we do appreciate her reporting it. Whatever it was. Now, if you have a true paranormal story you think would be perfect for Monsters Among Us, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. Or visit the website at monstersamonguspodcast.com for more submission options. And don't forget, I'm still looking for religious calls, calls from the cloth or the clergy. I'm thinking exorcisms or... Uh, Miracles, or, or people brought back from the dead, stuff like that. I imagine we're going to get some pretty wild ones. Oh, and be sure to use the word clergy very early on in your call so I can search it out. Now next up, we venture to the state of North Carolina, where Daz has an entry he'd like to share with us. Hey, what's up, Derek? I'm Dez. I'm from... Charlotte, North Carolina. I had a call because I had something happen to me last year. I was at a beach called Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and I was there with my girlfriend and my dog. And it was about 
8.30 at night, like 9 maybe. Me and my girlfriend had just woken up from a nap from being at the beach all day. And I had opened a beer and I was just kind of like enjoying the night, enjoying the breeze at night, just just listening to the waves and the ocean. And I love that type of stuff. And I was looking because uh, I seen some fireworks. I think there was a couple that was getting buried on the beach or something. And we were just looking at that. But I happened to look up to the sky toward my left. And mind you, I'm on like the 11th floor of the hotel. So I'm looking up the left and I just see a huge circular type of ship. I want to say, I want to say it was a UFO. Uh, It had about eight to 12 lights that were going around it. And they all were like little spotlights. And I thought I was going crazy. I was like, what is going on? Like, am I dreaming right now? And I called my girlfriend over, and I was like, hey, look at this. Like, what is that? She said, oh, my God. So it's a UFO. It it, it definitely is a UFO. And we were just staring at it in astonishment. Like, I've never seen a UFO, but I've always, always been a believer in the paranormal. I've never been, like, a skeptic. I've seen multiple stuff that I couldn't explain, but that was by far one of the creepiest things I've seen because, you know, it was my first time ever seeing an unidentified object that was just flying in the sky. And I know it wasn't any fireworks because I just, you know, you, you know what a firework looks like. This was standing in the sky, just floating. And after a while, I mean, the lights started going off one by one and it was just gone. Like it was never there. And I felt like I was going crazy, but I, I luckily had my girlfriend there see everything and back up my accounts but i appreciate you derek uh i have more stories i'm gonna call in someday and i just wanted to call in for the first time uh i appreciate all your stories they help me get through my day at work and yeah keep it up i appreciate you all right bye-bye thank you des you know i went on vacation at myrtle beach a decade or so ago and we too stayed in one of those 11 or 12 story beachfront buildings and staring out at the ocean at night from the top floor of which we were on it's certainly not hard to imagine seeing something otherworldly zip by in the distance and maybe just maybe Daz was lucky enough to see just that Now, I do feel it incumbent upon me to mention that the behavior of those lights remind me of military flares, specifically them dimming out one light at a time. So I'd say it's at least possible that this circle quote-unquote craft was simply a ring of parachuted flares intended to light up the ocean for what I can only imagine to be training purposes. But you know, as I've stated ad nauseum, I wasn't there. So this is only a guess. And it goes without saying, I hope whatever it was, it was something more exciting than military flares. Thanks again, Des, for sharing that experience. Now, folks, the holidays are fast approaching. So maybe consider some sweet Monsters Among Us gear for that amongster in your circle. 
Visit monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash shop for the complete list of goodies. And remember, our merchandise is mostly hand-printed on mostly made-in-the-U.S. stock. So supporting us supports small business. And golly, do we appreciate that. Okay, then. Who's ready to get a little freaked out? Because I think Kelsey's entry out of Montana will probably do just that. Hello, my name is Kelsey and I'm calling from Montana. I just finished listening to the Christmas episode and it made me think of a heartwarming kind of odd story I have from this year, actually. Last Christmas, it would have been, I was back home in the state where I'm from with my fiance. And at my parents' request, we were going through all of my old belongings that were in boxes in the basement and deciding what we would bring to our house in Montana and what could be donated. And I had asked him to help me keep an eye out for a little blue unicorn figurine. And I didn't tell him the story behind it. I just told him that's what I was looking for. And my husband is a police officer, so he's pretty good at attention to detail. And we went through everything together. And as we'd find stuff, I'd tell him stories. But we never found the little blue figurine. And fast forward, we've gotten married in June. We found out we're expecting a little one. And I really started to get upset about this little blue unicorn. And I told him about this woman who had watched me as a child. She was technically my babysitter, but she was more like a grandmother to me. Um, And how when she had passed away, all of us kids, because she had taken in a couple of kids and watched a couple of us. So there was probably five or six of us who viewed her as a grandma or a mom. All of us got to pick one blue figurine because she had collected them. And that's what the blue unicorn was. And I really, really wanted it to put in our nursery if our baby was a girl. And as I'm telling him about this and how much I just want to find this figurine, but we've gone through everything, we were actually down in those boxes again because we were looking for my grandmother's old jewelry chest. And my husband pulled it out of the box And I mean, this thing isn't even a foot tall. It only has three drawers. And he said, this is what you're looking for, right? The one where we went through your grandma's old jewelry in it. So he remembered what was in it, what jewelry we had given to my mom, what jewelry we had kept. And I was like, yeah, that's what I want. And as he hands it to me, one of the three drawers falls out. And in it is something wrapped in tissue paper. Now we had emptied this in Wisconsin There was no way we had missed a drawer with something that filled the entire drawer up. And he was like, oh, I wonder what this is. And as he's unwrapping it, it's the little blue unicorn figurine. So I just have this gut feeling that the um, woman who was like a grandma to me knew I wanted it. And she placed it somewhere she knew I couldn't miss so that our little girl could have it. 
little girl ends up being a little boy, so it's not in his nursery, but it does sit next to my bed stand every night. And it just is really heartwarming because it makes me feel like she's still watching out for me. So that was my feel good, kind of spooky, not really spooky, but unexplainable story. Thanks for the show and I hope you have a good day. Hey, I 100% had a unicorn figurine when I was a kid. In fact, I had all sorts of weird knickknacks. The weirder, the better. I think my prized possession was a Coors beer placard with a werewolf on the front. My mom used to work at a carryout. But to anyone that's seen my office slash library slash studio, that information comes as no surprise. I like stuff. But one thing I don't have is an object delivered by a ghost let alone by a ghost that I'm fond of. So you should consider yourself lucky, blessed, or maybe even both, Kelsey. Because if it was your former babysitter that delivered the treasured item, then I believe the sentiment is worth even more than the item. It's some incredible stuff. So thanks again for sharing. No, I certainly don't want to bog you down with announcements so I'll do my best to cover this really quickly. A few weeks ago, I launched a brand new YouTube channel called Para Weekly. Every other Friday, I break down the latest in paranormal news, entertainment, and we cover the most up-to-date video and audio evidence. We even throw in a few listener-submitted videos from people like you as well. So please do me a solid. It's free and easy, and I actually think you're going to like it. So go to YouTube.com and search for Paraweekly, or simply follow the link in tonight's show notes. Then watch and or like a couple of the videos. Maybe even leave a comment, and for sure, you should subscribe. Producing Paraweekly is a ton of work for Sarah and I, so I certainly want to make sure that everyone has the opportunity to enjoy the fruits of our labor. So now then, we make our way south to the state of Alabama. Jonathan, go ahead with your call. Hey Derek, my name is Jonathan. I'm from Alabama. About two weeks ago, I was coming down at Interstate 65, uh, right outside our state capital, Montgomery. And as I'm coming down the interstate, I look to the left and right over some restaurants and some buildings, I see what looked like to be a, maybe a jet, like a smaller black jet. The craziest thing was this thing wasn't moving. It was dead still, and it was low. Like it was like it looked to me like it was right above the right above the buildings. I mean, it, it could have been a couple hundred feet, maybe a thousand feet up in the air. And as I was going inter, down the interstate, this thing I was going north and it was coming south. It was well, I say that it was facing the direction of the south, and. I passed it. Like, you would think the jet would be going fast enough, like it would come past me. You know, you would be able to see that it was moving, but this thing was not moving whatsoever. And I tried to get, I tried to get a picture of it, but I couldn't get my phone out in time. But it freaked me out. I mean, this thing literally did not move. I have no idea what it was. It was probably 4.30 in the afternoon, partly cloudy. Nothing weird about the day. Just seen that thing, and it just didn't move. It had no lights on it, nothing. Solid black, and wasn't moving. Right there in the sky. If you have any ideas uh, what it is, just, you know, just let me know. 
hope you can use this. Thank you, sir. This one I think I can explain. There is most likely an optical illusion at work here. Now, I tried and failed to find a well-worded quote to share here, but basically the slowing of the approaching plane juxtaposed with the motion and the speed of the vehicle causes the plane to appear to hover. In reality, it's moving quite quickly, but the motion of the vehicle that the viewer is in cancels a lot of that out. Now, I've actually seen this myself driving down the 10 freeway by the Ontario airport here in Southern California. And it's trippy for sure. Now, I posted an example in the show notes, but I'm certain at least what I saw was nothing more than a trick of the eye. Now, it is worth noting that there are a few jets out there that can take off and land vertically, the Harrier and the F-35B. So the fact that the craft was black could suggest that it was one of these two modern marvels. But I don't know, Jonathan. What do you think? And thanks again for sharing. Tonight's episode is brought to you by Italic. Italic isn't an everything store. They're your everything store. Their marketplace connects you with the manufacturers behind the world's biggest brands and most in-demand products and delivers them straight to your door for up to 63% less. Now with the gift-giving season fast approaching, Italic has a curated selection of over 500 products, including everything from clothing to items for your home. You'll even find products for your pets. My assistant, Annabelle, has her eye on the indoor cat scratcher. Their team of in-house product experts vet every product to ensure that it's the highest of quality. They also extensively vet their manufacturers on the ground visiting factories and inspecting materials. I personally love their selection of camping and hiking products, and they cost less than they normally would from a regular brand. By taking the brand and retail markup out of the equation, they're able to deliver the lowest prices possible. And right now, you can get $10 off your first order of $50 or more from italic.com with the code MONSTERSAMONGUS. Again, that's code Monsters Among Us for $10 off your first order. As always, supporting our sponsors supports the show. So thank you for listening. And back to the spooky stuff. Well, let's dive back into the action with something straight out of a classic campfire story. Andy from Nebraska. Welcome to the program. Hey, Derek. My name's Andy, and I'm calling from Omaha, Nebraska. I have a spooky story to relate to you. This was actually told to me by my grandma many years ago, and the story actually takes place in Kansas, middle of nowhere, Kansas. Her and her and my grandpa were on a, a road trip. You know, this was before GPS, and so they, all they were going by is their their map, which was apparently outdated because they were horribly lost. They were on an empty stretch of highway. Uh, My grandma said they hadn't seen anything for the longest time. No houses, no gas stations, no reference points. And on top of that, they were starting to run very low on gas. Well, eventually they see a house, an old farmhouse, off in the distance down a dirt road. So they they pull down the dirt road, 
uh, or the driveway hoping to ask these people for directions. This is before cell phones, obviously. My grandma gets out and she goes up to the porch and knocks on the door and she said this place was just absolutely falling apart. It looked like there had been no updates in over a hundred years. She said she was surprised the place was still standing, but the strangest thing was the door was open. It was just the screen door to the kitchen was closed and she looked inside. The water in the sink was running. The food was piping hot and the the table was set. She said there, there was piping hot food. She could see the steam. The table was set as if these people were about to sit down and eat dinner, but the problem was nobody was home. She knocked, they hollered in, hello, anybody home? We, we need help. And they stood there for 10 minutes, completely dumbfounded. Nobody ever answered the door and they had no choice but to leave. A little further up the highway, for the first time in a long time, they saw a truck coming towards them. It was an old fashioned blue pickup truck. And inside was an old rancher or farmer. She said he, he looked uh, very old, weathered, wrinkled. They stopped and they asked him for directions. He, you know, essentially said, oh, yeah, keep going down. You know, you'll eventually connect with the other stretch of highway. That'll take you home. The the two cars pulled off in opposite directions, you know, uh, one going one way, one going the other. My grandma told my grandpa, who was driving, she said, wait, turn around real quick. We need to ask him how far down the highway it is because we're about to run out of gas. So literally five or ten seconds later, my grandpa whips a, a U-turn right there in the middle of the empty highway to try to flag down the truck. And in that five or ten seconds, my grandma swears on her life, she said that truck vanished. It was nowhere to be found. She said it was completely flat terrain. Uh, it was broad daylight. She said in the surroundings there were no bushes, no trees, no ditches where that truck could have gone and disappeared so quickly. It just was there. And then in the blink of an eye, it was gone. And she was left wondering if maybe the old truck and the rancher were obviously a ghost or a phantom and maybe the the farmhouse itself wasn't real either maybe that was a you know a remnant from a time long ago so anyway i hope you can use that on the show uh thanks so much for all the all the work you put into this and have a great night thank you andy you know i looked for a good 10 minutes but All my scary stories to tell in the dark books are missing. But I swear one of the stories about an elderly couple that takes weary travelers in from a dangerous fog sounds eerily familiar. Now later in the story, our protagonists begin to realize that the couple and the cottage they lived in had been long, long gone. So if you've read that series of books, you've probably stumbled upon that story. You know, otherwise, I can only guess that the house's occupants hid from the stranger. Maybe they weren't supposed to be there, and bolted at the first sign of another intruder. But were these people there long enough to create an entire meal? It's certainly weird stuff, for sure. And we thank you again, Andy, for taking the time to share it. Now, next stop, Minnesota. James will be there, waiting for us. Yes, hello. My name is James from Minnesota. I've been listening to your podcast for a long time, and I really, really like it. So I decided to call in and share my story that I have. A long time ago, I was in the Navy military police, 
and we would patrol certain buildings and do certain checks on older dilapidated buildings. Well, there was an old infirmary way back in kind of like the swamp area where everything was run down. Nobody goes back there anymore except for kids to kind of mess around with the old buildings and, you know, kids to go and have sex and stuff. Well, this one evening, we were going through the building because we have to do checks on it. And there's always one room that's almost clean every single time. The rest of them are just torn down and everything. But the bed was made, the walls are all dusted, and there's a dresser with a picture frame on top of it. And the picture has a wife and a husband. Thinking nothing of it on my first day, we're just going through doing the checks and everything was fine. Well, about two weeks later, there was some vandalism in the area and scraped up the drywall, tossed the covers around, and the light was left on, which was really weird because the light is never left on. So on our nightly check, like two in the morning, we go in to do our checks and walk through the building. And we look at the room and the room's a mess. And everything's all scraped up and stuff like that. But the picture frame is still on the dresser. Honestly, I could draw it for you of how crystal clear I remember that the picture frame was still there. So we turn off the light and continue our check down the hall. And as we get about 10, 15 feet away from the room going down the hall, the picture frame slides out of the door and smashes against the wall on the hallway and breaks and falls to the ground. Me and my partner go back and look at the room. Nothing else has changed, just the picture frame. No one is in there. We made sure that no one's in the area. It's two in the morning, so we were both very freaked out and just got the hell out of there as fast as we possibly could. All right, thank you for letting me share my story. Bye. Thanks, James. I sort of have the same suggestion for you that I have for Andy. And it sounds like a squatter of some sort. The clean room is the dead giveaway. But squatter aside, what's the deal with the flying picture frame? And probably more importantly, who or what destroyed the room? Now regardless of any of those answers, I certainly do not envy you, James. My imagination cascades with potential monsters hidden in those shadows. So thank you for sharing the entry. Now, folks, if I can real quick remind you that if you love the show and want to support it, please consider joining Monsters Among Us Beyond over at Patreon. Four bucks gets you instant access to 53 full episodes and tons more bonus material. That's patreon.com forward slash Monsters Among Us podcast. And now, with that out of the way, please allow me to introduce you to our <clears throat> final submitter of the evening. Here to round this thing out is Wyatt from the beautiful state of Oregon. Hey, Derek. This is Wyatt in Oregon. I was just wanting to tell you about a pretty spooky experience that I had probably around the age of 10 to 13. I had really bad asthma during that time and I um, I started to see this all white being and it would come just before I would have like a major 
asthma attack to the point where I would almost die. I would mostly see it at night. The very first time I saw it was probably 8.30 at night. I was taking the trash out to the garbage can and I had to go out through the garage. And I looked over and I saw this full body white, looked like an apparition type of thing. There were no eyes, but you could see that there was supposed to be eyes there. And it had my kind of a silhouette of a face. And let's just say that it was just terrifying. So I ended up going back inside and telling my parents about it. They rushed out and searched for it and nothing was there. So later on, a few weeks later, I started kind of having an asthma attack. And I look out the window and I see this flash of light. It's not just like a normal light. It was a light of a human being. And it stopped and stared at me for a second. And I'm like, there's the guy. There's the white guy again. And um, he ended up staring at me for a second and then off like like a flash of lightning. And terrified the hell out of me. And my parents didn't really believe me. But the next time, and I, I ended up having a huge major asthma attack. Next time I saw it, um, I just kind of shucked it off. This time it was in the middle of the day, but probably around like 6.30 or so. And I ended up having to get my inhaler because I had another major asthma attack. Then the next time I saw it, my mom had ordered me to go get some um, toilet paper out of this big barn that was in the back of our our property and it it's a very nice size barn lots of stuff and i was absolutely terrified at that barn um, and i didn't want to go through the the front door so i ended up going through the back door and i ended up touching the door handle and while i was touching the door handle the door handle was moving from the other side, like somebody was, was jiggling on the door door handle from the other side. It freaked me out, so I backed up the door long wide open, and there is this white, like pure all white entity staring straight at me with white eyes, like where there should have been sockets, there, there weren't. And then um, with that entity's fingers, it decided that it needed to put its fingers in where its eye sockets would be and start tearing away from itself. And then all I could see was dark, dark black eyes, like, your dark eyes and let's just say 
I ran like hell back to the house, which was probably about a good 50 yards or so. And, man, that is the fastest I've ever ran. Sadly, that was not the end of that particular individual. It would follow me on on different vacations that we had. One of them was over to Puerto Rico. And, um, again, I almost died because I had a major asthma attack. And we finally moved about a year and a half later or so. And that thing was still following me. And my, me and my parents are religious people, and we, we pray a lot. And so my mom was suggesting to ask God what to do about this entity. So I did, and I felt like the Lord wanted me to pray in spiritual tongues as loud as I could around our property seven times. And that would be the end of that particular entity coming to visit. And I did that, and I have never seen that entity since, and um, the asthma has stopped. So, yeah, it was really weird. Just thought I'd give you a call. Love the podcast. And uh, I listen to it every day. Um, I'm going through it chronologically. So, uh, thank you. Keep up the good work. Uh, Have a great day. Bye. Thank you, Wyatt. Well, let's start with the condition known as asthma. Now, essentially, the body attacks the airways to the lungs, causing them to swell fill with mucus and contract, cutting off the air supply. Now, in some cases, this condition can be deadly. And of course, I'm not a doctor, but I couldn't find much information linking asthma to hallucinations, which was my first stop on my logical approach. Not to mention that it also sounds like these beans appear to Wyatt before an attack, not during. So then I thought maybe there was some ghostly connection to the condition. But again, I came up dry. I was able to find several examples of near-death experiences that described similar lights and beings. But again, it didn't sound like Wyatt's life was in jeopardy during the sighting. So after following up on a few other loose ends, I realized this is not something commonly known. So here is where I fall back on the greatest research resource of them all. You, dear listener. If this story sounds familiar to you or you have suggestions for Wyatt, you know what to do. I wish I could be of more help, but this is a new one on me. But truth be told, I kind of love it when that happens. So thanks again, Wyatt, for taking the time to call in. And that's going to do it for this episode. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Sarah Carter Hayes and Addie Lloyd. All media used in this production is done so under the protection of fair use. And keep the party rolling by following us on social media. We have accounts at Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And while you're at it, please leave a rate and review if your podcatcher allows. And lastly, that terrifying score you heard this evening. Well, it's Co.AJ Music and Carl Casey at White Bad Audio. Thank you so much for listening. Again, 
have a happy Thanksgiving. Until next week. Now I certainly hope you have a little of that childhood wonder left in you, because you're going to need it for John's call out of the state of Oklahoma. Hi Derek, my name's John and I'm calling you from Oklahoma. This happened to me probably about 15 years ago. My wife and I were leaving Walmart one night after grocery shopping and we ran into an old high school friend of mine. And as we stood in the lobby area, just chatting and and catching up, I had noticed an older Micronesian man and his, what seemed to be his grandson. He seemed to be probably around the age of six to eight, somewhere around in there. Anyhow, as I was observing the old man, the little boy, uh, another woman had walked in to the entryway that knew my friend, and as they were talking amongst themselves, my wife and I began to watch the little boy as he busied himself by checking the coin returns and all of the vending machines and messing with the claw machine, trying to, you know, perhaps jar a a prize loose or something like that. And uh, as he was doing this, he absentmindedly let loose of a balloon that he had been carrying around, a little helium-filled balloon. And as it approached the very high ceiling of the uh, entryway there at Walmart, the little boy ran over to his presumed grandfather and tapped him on the shoulder, and he points up to the balloon that is now quickly approaching the ceiling. And the old man just nonchalantly raises his arm and gives the balloon a come-here motion with his finger. And at that moment, I really just burst into laughter because... Well, you know, I mean, that's pretty funny. But my laughter, it stopped when I saw that the balloon reversed direction and became as if it was attracted to the old man. It started floating back down to the old man. So he grabs the balloon and he hands it back to his grandson. And just a few seconds later, the little boy let it go again. And as he tapped his grandfather on the arm to tell him about it, the old man does it again, only this time the balloon wasn't so far away from him. It was really just kind of perpendicular to him, and it, and it floated sideways to the old man. At which point he kind of scolded the little boy, told him basically not to do it again. And uh, that was that. I looked at my wife. We couldn't believe it. We both asked each other if we had seen it, and we both uh, confirmed that we had seen it. So... I'm not sure what it was. I know that there are uh, there are a lot of stories about mystics of Micronesia and witch doctors and a lot of stories that I've heard from 
from some Micronesians that had lived in my hometown. I don't know. I'm, I'm a skeptic. I don't really know if it had anything to do with witchcraft. Or maybe the old man just had, like, fishing line tied to his finger and to the balloon, but that just seems unlikely. Anyway, I wanted to call and uh, give you the story, and I really appreciate what you're doing. Keep up the good work, man. I love your show. Thanks. I love it, John. Thank you. Just when I feel like all the magic is gone from the world, John drops this gem. And as John said, this could have been a trick, but it seems pretty elaborate considering that they didn't even know they had an audience. But for this call, I choose to think more on the paranormal side. There just might be a little magic left. Thank you, John, for the awesome story. And thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. Have a good night.